Our scripture reading comes from James chapter 1. This is a text we considered uh, some time back. I thought it would be worthwhile for us to look at it again. Uh, and something that motivated me particularly to do this was there was a report of the General Assembly on abuse. And what was read of it, what we heard on the floor of the Assembly, it was worthwhile reading the report if you get an opportunity to do so. Please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. James, the first chapter. Our focus is going to be 19 uh, through 21. But let's start our reading in chapter 1 and um, verse 16. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Then I be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. On his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The grass, grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to God in prayer. Pray for me as I preach this text. Pray for yourselves as you sit on the proclamation of God's word this morning. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, Almighty God, we pray for your presence with us. I ask you, Lord, to be with me as I preach. May I preach by the power of your Spirit uh, with uh, passion. I pray, O God, that you would bless the word that is proclaimed this morning. Be with the congregation, that you would keep their minds from drifting and wandering. I do pray that you would build us up, O Lord, to relieve us from doubt. We pray in fear. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said a moment ago, this uh, year at the assembly, a commission on abuse made a report. And the interesting thing of it was that's how uh, abuse within the family is much more common uh, than we would think. And also uh, that the definition of abuse uh, seems to vary uh, from one individual to another. Uh, often in homes, according to what was read on the floor of the assembly, uh, homes are plied with uh, pugnacious patterns of conduct uh, and abuse. Uh, a woman whose husband got in her face and would yell at her for a lengthy period of time and cussed her, uh, the wife was asked, was she ever abused? And she said, no, she was not, because to her abuse was physical, uh, not something that was verbal. And yet verbal abuse is abuse. Uh, and what often is behind that, as we know, is a great deal of self-centeredness and anger. To quote William Shakespeare, a rose... Uh, by any other name, is just as sweet. Uh, we could say abuse by any other name is just as stinging. It is hard to deal with something like that, especially day in and day out. And it's interesting to note, I brought this up the last time I was in the pulpit, that if you look at the fruit of the Spirit, which James is teaching the Sunday school class on that, and by the way, the class is moving back in here, 
I got a lot of reports and basically complaints. Uh, so we're going to move it back in here as been requested by a great number of people, not just a few. But uh, the fruit of the Spirit, as you look at the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, anger spoils the expression of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, think about it. Uh, an angry individual does not have love. Uh, an angry individual does not have joy or peace or patience or kindness or goodness or faithfulness or gentleness or self-control. Anger anesthetizes all of these aspects of the outworking of the Spirit in our lives. In our text this morning, uh, James, uh, the Lord's brother, brings out and deals with and calls front and center the problem of anger in the lives of uh, the believer and the lives of those who are in the church. And he brings it forth and teaches us how to deal with it properly and promptly, properly and promptly. Uh, and it is as we look at this this morning that we will see uh, very uh, quickly uh, that because anger is contrary to God's purposes in the life of the Christian. Anger is one of those sins. Um, uh, Bridges wrote a book some years ago called Respectable Sins. Well, this is being an acceptable sin. Uh, because people have outburst and they're not sorry about it. People have outburst and they're even so deceived as to think it's a righteous outburst. And though the Bible makes clear that there are proper times to express anger, as we will see a little later on in the sermon, very seldom, very seldom do our expressions of anger generate uh, from a concern for zeal for God are for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, and the first thing, anger must be recognized as for the sin that it is and understand that God hates it. He says here in the text, Know this, my beloved brethren. Why does he use this term of affection? Well, I think for a couple of reasons he uses this term of affection. In the first place, uh, people who have a tendency to get angry may rebel against that, uh, may rebel against the confrontation of the letter, of what James is saying here. Another thing, I think, is perhaps, as is today, there was a problem in the life of the church in those days. You remember, as Suzanne used to say to me all the time, Suzanne was one of our former members who has gone to glory, uh, human nature does not change. And so the problems the church had in the first century are the same problems the church has today. So... It must be recognized that it is something that is contrary to God's good pleasure, and it is something that is a problem in common among the people of God. Well, it must be controlled then. Uh, anger must be controlled in the life of God's people. So James here tells us that something must take uh, uh, effect, something must happen, and it takes effort on our part. You cannot say, that's just the way I am. Well, being a sinner is just the way you are by nature. But when you say that, that's just the way I am. Do you see what it does? It excuses the behavior. And so that your anger, which again, in most cases, contrary to what God desires for us as his people, is sin. And Christ died for that sin as he did for all of the sins that we commit. So there must be a conscious effort then on our part to deal with sin in our lives. And we must exercise our wills. We must make a decision. We must make a choice. Dealing with sin 
All sin does not just happen automatically. It takes effort. It takes work. It takes commitment. To where, as we read in the scriptures, seek peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord from the book of Hebrews. It is something that takes effort and work. So here in the text, uh, he brings us, he mentions three things here, James does. And the first thing he says is, we must be quick to hear. The believer must be quick to hear two things. In the first place, the believer must be quick to hear the word of God. And we look back at chapter 1 and verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So the scriptures then... The Word of God, the Gospel, was instant, uh, was instant, um, instrumental in your conversion. What does Paul say in Romans? How will they hear unless they have a preacher? So the necessity of hearing the Gospel and understanding the Gospel, and by the grace of God that Gospel being applied to us, comes through the Word of God and understanding who Jesus is and what He has done for us. So there is that necessity of hearing the Word of God. Thomas Matton. And by the way, I've got his collected works in the library. I'd recommend them to you. You can't take them out and keep it. Check it out and bring it back or you'll have to deal with Greg. But I would encourage you to look at that. Thomas Matton said this. He has spoken of the word of truth. That's in verse, um, the one I just read in verse 18. Uh, as being the instruments of their conversion upon the ground, upon that ground, persuades them to be diligent in hearing upon the ground of the fact that the word of God is powerful, effective conversion, effective for sanctification upon that ground. Then he tells them and persuades them to be diligent to hear. And so that when we come to the Lord's Day service or we come to a Wednesday night prayer meeting or Bible study, whatever the case may happen to be, we are there to be instructed. And so we are to come then and we are to be quick to hear. Be quick to hear and to receive the word of God. Again, given the power of the word of God displayed in your conversion, and then give ear in all, to it in all matters of faith and practice. The confession tells us that the Bible is, the word of God is, the basis of our faith and practice. John Blanchard, which I didn't know this, John Blanchard spoke at a RYM conference years ago when I went with the, took the youth there a long, long time ago. He died last year. I didn't know that. He was way up in his 90s. Uh, but he said this. He wrote many books. He was an evangelist. Uh, he was an apologist for the faith. He says, James longs for all believers to have an insatiable appetite for sound doctrine. To be given to reading the Bible. To be given to reading books like books that John Blanchard and others have written. Ours expressed to us in the Psalms, Oh, I love your law. It is my meditation day and night. And so that as believers who want to be pleasing to God, we would bring his word to bear in our thoughts throughout the day, not just in the morning. Uh, and I would encourage you uh, to start your day with reading the scriptures and start your day with prayer. Uh, because what happens is this. Uh, you get involved in your work and you get busy and you end up not having time at all. You get home and then you may be too tired or take time during lunch. Sometime during the day, give yourself to reading the Bible and spending time in prayer. And just for me, the early morning is where it seems to work best for me 
and want to be sure to get it done. Oh, how I love your law is my meditation day and night, so throughout the day. And then again in Psalm 109 in verse 11, uh, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then Matthew Henry, it is our duty to hear God's word and apply our minds to it. As believers, it is our duty, our responsibility to hear the word of God, apply our minds to it, and to respond to it. What does Jesus say again in John 14, 15? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Instead, obedience then is an expression of our sincere faith and love to the Lord. So we are to be quick to hear the word of God. We are also to be quick to hear the words of others. And what is key to that is listening. To give ear to someone when they speak to us. You know that quote by Winston Churchill, stop interrupting me while I am interrupting you. That's the way many of us are. And I've got a little book of daily sayings on my desk. I've had them since 1988. Some of the muscle shelves gave them to me. And one of them says some people uh, are silent in a conversation because they're thinking of some reply to what, how they want to respond to what it is you were saying to them. It's not quite that lengthy, but basically that is the sum of it. So you are to be slow to speak. Slow to speak of our own righteousness. Slow to speak concerning about complaining against the providence of God. And then slow to speak uh, to others. We should give ourselves to listening. And then the third act, which James calls us to do, is dealing with uh, the volition, uh, the concerns of the, uh, the verse is the topic of anger. And again, I know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Have you ever seen somebody... All of a sudden, flare. I'm sure you have. More than likely you have. You know, they hear something, the nostrils flare. Face and countenance changes, distortion. And you can tell that they're angry. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder. It is as if you were on a wild stallion. And you have the reins, and all of a sudden the reins give way and the horse takes off. And there's no stopping it. That's what it's like when somebody's anger flares. Because something has been said or done that absolutely set them off and ignited them. Well, the question is, is that proper? No. It's not proper at all. It is a very ungodly act. And again, on so many occasions in our own society, even in the church, it seemed like it has become one of those sins that is acceptable in the life of the church. It may be you have seen a movie where someone is talking to someone who's angry and they're in a car. And before they get the sentence out, the car takes off. Well, they have failed to remember Matthew 5 and verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Very seldom is the anger that we have have anything to do with righteousness. Very, very seldom. And that, I think, is indeed true. Now, we understand the Bible does not tell us never to get angry. 
Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, there are times when we should be angry. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ himself was angry on more than one occasion. Uh, you remember when he was um, uh, expressing anger about unbelief. And he was expressing anger about what was happening in the temple. He did not get angry because somebody cut him off in traffic. He did not get angry because somebody gave him some type of bad advice concerning investments or because he was troubled at the providence of God. His anger always had to do with his zeal for God and the truth, always. So that when he's in the temple, he cleans it out, and you remember he says to them, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And you remember what Christ did. He made a whip of cords, and he drove the people out of the temple. That's in Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, and John 2. And then in Mark 3, 5 through 7, he says, And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, the man who had the withered hand, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against how they may destroy them. You talk about hardness of heart. They knew Jesus' claims. They saw him work a great miracle. He's angry because they don't believe. He heals the man. They get angry, and they go out and figure out how they're going to kill him. After seeing a marvelous work like that done by our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, it is uh, that anger is not always wrong, but it is always difficult for us to handle it and express it in a proper fashion. And some people get in modes of life that that's just the way they operate. It becomes such a part of the pattern of how they live, that's just how they operate. And it's been accepted in the life of individuals who do not seek to try to change. I'm going to read this to you. There is a special danger in all cases where there is anger that it will be companioned by sin. That is quite true. So what does the apostle tell us? Yourselves be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Be angry and do not sin. Do not, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Well, because hoarding anger in our lives is foolish. Listen, anger breeds anger. It's like a cancer. And once someone becomes in a mindset of anger with someone, it perpetuates itself. And so that nothing this individual can do can please you, whether it's in the church, whether it's in the family, whether it's at work, whatever the case may happen to be. Once anger takes hold, it festers and it grows. And again, anger breeds anger. And so the Apostle Paul says here, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And I think there he's even talking about a righteous anger. Not an ungodly anger. With that, he would say, don't have anything to do with it at all. Put it out immediately. Don't let it go. Don't let it slide there. Don't let it fester. Don't let it become a part of who you are. And when we are angry, we open the door for the devil to come in and wreak havoc in our relationships. It's an invitation to him. I've got a garden that looks terrible. It's all grown up with weeds now and grass because it's too hot to go out there and work it. Rats have gotten in my garden at night. 
They're not in the house. Don't think they're an unclean person. But they're sure outside. I had tomatoes coming on. I was so happy about it. But the rats devoured my tomatoes before I got one. If you know how to get rid of them, please let me know. But that's anger, you see. It comes and it devours. What joy was there is now taken away. What expectation of there of enjoying the first fruits is taken away. That's exactly what anger does in the life of an individual. It poisons. It poisons relationships. It poisons the soul. And you remember that the Lord Jesus Christ equated it with murder. And the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. He equated anger with murder. One commentator said this, Anger is a fertile field for Satan to sow the seeds that bring tragedy. And again, the heart is deceitful and seldom more deceitful than in any other case than when a man is attempting to vindicate himself from injuries done to his person or reputation. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. But we say to ourselves, that's in the days to come, not today. Vengeance is mine, because I'm going to see this person hurt and pay for what they did to me. And that's just wickedness and ungodliness working itself out in the life of an individual and how it destroys, how it, how it uh, brings havoc and unhappiness in the life of those around that individual. Again, remember, I think that it's very interesting to me that as you look at the fruit of the Spirit, once anger settled in, none of those show expression. They're all... Uh, annihilated by anger in the life of an individual. And the devil is always busy when we are angry. And so there's some biblical examples of the harm that anger brings. Job 5, 2, Surely uh, vexation kills the fool and jealousy slays the simple. Proverbs 15:18, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife. Proverbs 16, 19, 19, a man of great wealth will pay the penalty. If you delight, if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. I'm sorry, a man of great wrath will pay the penalty. For if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. That's proving true, it seems like, in our own society this day, of people that are put in jail, let out, and they end up doing the same thing over again. Uh, Proverbs 22, 24, uh, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man. Ecclesiastes 7, 9. Do not be quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. Romans twelve seventeen. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thoughts to do what is honorable in the sight of all. There is our challenge. There is our mandate. And it's important for us to note uh, that anger is contrary to God's intent for us as his people. Again, Know this, my beloved brethren, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I was attending the Presbytery meeting one time, just a long time ago, and one of the men there, I voted opposite of him, and he would not speak to me after Presbytery. He was angry. He was so angry, he turned around and walked away from me after he chastised me. Well, a couple of days later, he called me on the phone. He said, David, I was reading James. It was this text he was reading. He said, I came under conviction and wanted to call you and apologize. Well, I started to bring up what happened. He said, don't talk about it. You just make me mad again. So the word of God had an effect upon him. At least he called and apologized. 
And uh, I love this man. He is uh, up in years now, but he is a, a dear man. But uh, he let anger get the best of him at that meeting and uh, walked out and would not speak to me until God's word. You see the power of the word of God there until God's word read, took root in his heart and called him, caused him to call me and to apologize to me. Um, so what is produced in us is not an upright course of life, but rather a course of life that is contrary to righteousness and holiness. Anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It produces poison. It produces ungodliness. It produces pain. It produces discomfort. It produces fractured relationships and broken relationships. A course of life that will lead us in the land of darkness and destruction. Well, the last thing, then, is anger's practical effects. Consider, has there ever been a divorce where anger was not present? Has there ever been a broken relationship where anger was not present? Has there ever been a church split where anger was not present and active? And the answer to all those questions is no. Every one of these, there is anger present, and the outworking of it is always disastrous. And if you look at this last portion, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. There it is right there. How is it that we formulate our lives in such a way, live our lives in such a way as to be pleasing to God? Well, it's through reading the scriptures and meditating upon the word and asking God by his grace to apply that word to us. Just like it did with that man who called me and said, I'm sorry about what I, how I acted and what I did at the Presbytery, after the Presbytery meeting. Next April in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, there's going to be a 50th anniversary of Reform University Ministries. Next April, I hope to be able to go. And uh, it started on Southern's campus. And probably many of you know that. And when it was started on Southern's campus, it was called Westminster Fellowship. I thought, until recently, and a matter of fact, until General Assembly, that it was called Westminster Fellowship because it started in Westminster Presbyterian Church. That wasn't the case. Westminster Fellowship was the name of the campus work of the PCUSA, or the PCUS at the time, the liberal branch of the Presbyterian Church. And so it came time to change the name. We had started a campus. They had started a campus work at State and at Ole Miss. So you had the three state universities, the biggest one, State, Ole Miss, and then Southern. I decided to change the name to Reform University Ministries. We didn't like that. It started at Southern. We had the name. They should change their name to ours. There was so much upheaval. We said to our campus ministers, look, let's just start our own group. You see the problem with that? That's nothing but arrogance and pride. Why can't they, stated at Ole Miss, take our name? Why do we have to get a whole new name just because they are now involved in the campus work? And I don't remember the explanation that was given, but I'm sure it was a sound explanation that was given. But you see the difficulty, uh, how easily uh, pride and anger can come in and cause you to make dumb decisions that are detrimental to the church and detrimental to relationships in the church as well. Well, where are we left then with this? Well, in the first place, we have to recognize that anger is 99.9% of the time wrong. You have to evaluate. Are you angry because of what is going on in our society? 
uh, when the church is called uh, 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 castigated, when uh, uh, people make fun of Christians and, uh, and Christ, uh, when uh, people uh, are out marching for abortion rights and those types of things, well, those kind of things should bother us. They should make us angry. But are we angry because we take it personally or are we angry because it offends Christ and it offends our God? When people take the Lord's name in vain and, and say things about Christ, are we offended because we take it personally, which you should, but are we offended ultimately because of the, our God, his beauty, his loving kindness, his mercy, his gentleness, his salvation he has given to us. So when the church is castigated, it shouldn't bother us, and we should respond accordingly. But we have to remember that most of the time our anger breeds and comes from uh, the pits of hell because we're selfish and because we want our way and because we would rather see damage done to others than to give in and not have our way. If only an example of the one who was absolutely marvelous at putting others before himself, you look at Jesus, our Savior, look at him. Never was a man so meek and mild and yet so powerful. A man who willingly gave himself into the hands of those who would abuse him for the good of his people, for the good of his church. Do you know Christ? Or are you simply religious? Do you love Jesus understanding what he did for you on the cross of Calvary? Are you simply involved in the life of the church because you always have been? Look at Jesus. Look at Christ. Look at what he did. Look at what he purchased for you personally by his work on the cross of Calvary. And let that motivate you to cherish his church and cherish God's people. And that should do something to help you be able to control your anger if you're given to it. It's true that some are more given to it than others, but all of us have trouble at one time or another with it, whether we want to admit it or not. It does damage. It does harm. Well, what do we do when he tells us here in such a beautiful way in this very practical book? Uh, we are to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It takes effort. It takes work. But by God's grace, we can do that. Let's pray.